This Tome Show production is supported by Noble Knight Games, where Out of Print is available again, and by listeners like you. Keep using the affiliate links for Amazon and dndclassics.com and support the show while you shop. Welcome to the News Desk. Once a month, we get together to chat about the latest news in D&D, and your anchor today is myself, Sam Dillon. And <laughs> me. Sentence. <laughs> You be quiet with my your my sentences. I am also anchoring here. That's right. I am Jeff Greiner, and you couldn't keep me down. You tried to sacrifice me, but I'm back. How you ask? Well, shoot. How you ask? Well, maybe our man on the street reporter, Randall Walker, live from the streets of Barovia under the shadow of Castle Ravenloft, can ask my good friend, Count Strahd von Zarovich, while he's there. Say hi from Ravenloft, Randall. Hey, from Raven- <laughs> Ravenloft. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Blah 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 blah. <laughs> that was uh, yeah, Lord Strahd there. Yeah, right. you were praying to the Kuatoa God. That's about how you pronounce it, right? Blah 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, Liptoboop. Uh, well, I, I actually spent like half an hour looking at that word and trying to figure out how to pronounce it. That was back in high school. I gave up yeah. a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we are still pretending like dogs, to take suggestions for a better name for the show. So if you have one, feel free to email your suggestions to thetomeshow at gmail.com. That is thetomeshow at gmail.com. All right. So uh, we're going to do our lightning round where we're going to just hit some things real quick and not worry about the in-depth conversation uh, just to let you guys know sort of what's going on out there in the world. And then we're going to get into some things that we're going to discuss in more detail. I've got the the April in the works article, which has a lot of stuff going on, um, which is you know unusual, I guess, for not not a lot of new game books coming out. Um, but we have some reprints of old game books. But before we get to that, we have um, a new season of D and D Encounters, uh, Storm Over Neverwinter, and then they've announced the next Encounter season as well, The Search for the Diamond Staff. Uh, and they've got the new and, and am I remembering right? This is the last layer assault into the pit of madness. I believe you are remembering correctly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's what it says. Final the final D and D layer assault. Yeah. Um, so there's all that going on, plus a whole bunch of stuff going on in books and novels. Um, they're going back and taking a lot of the older uh, R. I. Salvatore books um, and re-releasing them as audiobooks. So they've got the the Dark Elf trilogy, the Icewind Dale trilogy. Those are the the two original um, Drizzt trilogies, and then the Cleric Quintet, which was his original um, series oh, in the realms. That's my favorite. Yeah, before Drizzt and all that, it was it was yeah. the Cleric Quintet. Catterley, Catterley is my hero. There you go. Um, and you do you even know how his story finishes? Because it finishes in a Drizzt book. No, I I don't. Don't tell me. Okay, I won't. <laughs> but it's he good. It's good. He. Um, the end of Catterley was very uh, meaningful. Okay, I, I, tell I, me then. He gets eaten by his cat. Well, you, spoiler alert! You, spoiler alert! <laughs> it's it's in it's in uh, I think it's the Ghost King, um, but it's very good. He he has a very noble sacrifice, and and his spirit sort of lives on, protecting the the old his old uh, temple that he made. Oh, the, cool. the spirit soaring. So, awesome. Yeah. So in any case, those audiobooks are coming out. There is a new comic book out uh, written by R.A. Salvatore and his son Gino Salvatore um, called Cutter from IDW. Um, it is following the story of the sword, Kazid Hay, or otherwise known as Cutter, uh, and where it is and what it's doing and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, it's kind of in the Drist universe, but not featuring Drist at all. Um, just some other characters that have made appearances in some of the previous books. And we actually have a, a sample chapter available of Cutter available at thetomeshow.com uh, in PDF form. So people should go check that out and see if they, they might be interested in that. Um, the second issue just came out yesterday. so Nice. Uh, beyond that, May sees um, Elminster Enraged. I think that must be the soft cover. Must be because the hardback's been out for the a hardback's while. been out and, and and I have the the PDF or the I'm sorry the ebook version. Um, the Stone of Tomorrow I think also came out so that uh, oh no I think the, the Stone of Tomorrow one is a is a collection of the Stone of Tomorrow trilogy into one volume. Oh yeah, an omnibus. Yes, they didn't list it as an omnibus, but 
reading the description again that's that's what it is uh, and then they also uh, are have officially now announced the release of the first three sundering books uh, the Companions by Salvatore is book number one in August, uh, set to release, I imagine, around Gen Con time. Uh, in October, you have The Godborn by Paul S. Kemp. And then in December, you have The Adversary by Aaron M. Evans. Oh, I was going to say, I thought I thought Aaron Evans wrote was writing one of those. Yep. So yep. good, I'm glad. So hers is, and, and you notice that they're every two months, and that's how often we read a book for the book club. So I think we're going to do all of them um, in order, and we'll have to arrange to interview all of the authors as we go. So. Oh, that sounds good. It'll be a good time. Uh, and then in the RPG vein, they got a bunch of reprints. The 3.5 Premium Spell Compendium. As, well, I guess it wasn't originally premium, but they're reprinting the Spell Compendium as a premium <laughs> book. Um, and they're also reprinting the second edition core books, the Player's Handbook, the DMG, and the Monster Manual, or Monstrous mm-hmm. Manual, if you will. Those are pretty pricey. Yeah, I didn't see a price on them. What, yeah. what, how much are they? They're forty nine ninety five Each? Yep. Wow. That wow. Is, yeah. Well, luckily, that's the spell compendiums. Yeah, they're big books. Yeah. No, that's the that's the no, core the, books. The second the edition core books, books for. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah, they look beautiful though. I like how they reworked the covers, but they're they're a little rich for my blood since I already have a complete two E collection. Yeah, I say so do I. So I'll, I I can do without it. Uh, and in June, they are releasing another collection of dungeon, um, classic dungeon, or I guess not dungeon, but adventure. Um, reprints with the Against the Slave Lord series, mm-hmm. which I will let the two of you talk more about than I will because you, I imagine, know more about it than me. That well, I've run through I've I've run through every single one of those as a player and as a DM. So oh. yeah, so you know, know it, you know it well. Yeah, I know I know it pretty well. I mean, it's been you know <laughs> a long time, <laughs> but I'm definitely going to pick that one up just because I have all of the premium first edition reprints. So you know, the collector in me will. Scream if I gotta yeah, catch them all. You know, yeah. it would be a nice, it would be a nice collection to have the original first edition AD and D reprints, and then have those classic module sections: the S series, the A series, and the G series, um, uh, all together as separate, you know, separate volumes all together on a shelf. Yeah, that would be like a totally complete game. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be pretty awesome to to have, and even just to have displayed, that would mm. be pretty cool. So, right on. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, so in July, you also have the reprint of the 3.5 Magic Item Compendium. I think at this point, over the course of the last year, you could repurchase every major um, book you need to, to really play an in-depth 3.5 uh, game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost as if they're fully supporting the third edition um, again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they've got a couple of new adventures uh, officially announced. In August and in October, you have uh, in August. I guess you have Murder in Baldur's Gate, and in October, you have Legacy of the Crystal Shard. Um, I don't know a whole lot about like um, what what, ed- what edition and all that kind of stuff. They're, oh, okay. They're they're putting out, but what but what these are is the, these are both tied to um, the 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 Sundering event in the Forgotten Realms. So they're game products that tie into the novel series to help introduce people to the new version of the realms and, and the future of the realms and where it's going. So I think they'll probably be compatible with D&D Next then? I would imagine, or maybe go systemless so you could play it in whatever edition you want. I don't yeah. know. With with tips maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I as I'm reading through it again, I just don't see anywhere where yeah. it says what, you know, what kind of edition they're going to use with it. I, I- I think it would be cool if they had like, you know, here's the story and here's, you know, some map and some suggestions on, you know, whatever. And then have a sidebar that says, you know, this is here's the D&D next, you know, way to play this. But if you wanted to play this in first edition or if you wanted to play this in third edition and just some suggestions as a sidebar, that Mm -hmm. would be really cool. That'd be a really nice product. Absolutely. And then last on the list is into the board games and minis category in August just in time for Gen Con, we have the release of the first um, expansion to Lords of Waterdeep, the very popular uh, board game from Wizards of the Coast, um, called Scoundrels of Skullport. Uh, I believe, as I read earlier, there are two expansions, but they're both being sold together as Scoundrels of Skullport. And you can just sort of choose which ones you want to play with or not. Cool. How many original players did the original game? I mean, how many players did the original game support? Six, I think. Uh- um, two to five. Two to oh, five. five. Okay. And the 
supplement is two to six, so it actually adds a player. Yeah. Allows you to add a player. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and the original game um, was specifically designed with certain spots that were there mm-hmm. to add players, but without the actual right. materials or rules to do so. Right. Ah. So they planned for this ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I also liked how they were, they actually announced it on April first, and then provided a couple of free cards to preview and they were right. they were dressed in Elminster and then mentioned uh ha 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 we're just joking these aren't really cards you can use we just thought it'd be fun <laughs> but but we really are doing the expansion nice. we swear no. that's cute so awesome. that's that's um what's in the works all right sweet well i i have a very quick little news bit uh, for the for the lightning round Definitely not as long as Jeff's. It is about some new, very cool wallpaper that Wizards just released on their website. And I believe you can get it in one of a multitude of sizes for whichever device or platform you would like to use it on. And we will, uh, of course, link to that in the show notes. Uh, It's a nice little piece of art. It's got the red dragon and the guy with the sword. And it's, you know, reminiscent of very iconic D&D type stuff mm-hmm. it's sort of their D next iconic image right now because yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And i was in, i was actually impressed they actually even have uh social media support on it there's a specific mm-hmm. face, facebook and twitter sized you know banners yeah. the That's art is a cool. is a little more my style versus the sort of the sort of huge humongous weapon huge giant bulging muscles you know there's there's sort of this range of art there's the old school line drawing art where everybody was a pipsqueak and then there's the sort of third and fourth edition art where everyone is really muscular and has giant weapons and carries everything on their back and they're just really powerful mm-hmm. and those are two extremes and this piece of art the, the the guy in armor on the front of this piece of art is not super duper bulky and his sword is not super humongous um, but he still looks cool and iconic and powerful so I, it's a little more to my liking than than some of the more recent uh, art choices so which I think uh, based on our previous conversations explains exactly why you like it more than I do mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely I mean, it, it looks sure. like a nice piece of, piece of artwork mm-hmm. I appreciate it. It'll look good on a cover of of, of yeah. a player's handbook or something in the future. Oh but, sure, yeah. But it's not something I need a, a you know a poster of to put up in my oh well game room or anything. Not. Yeah, well, me neither. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, of course. So, and that's my it. Ass- that's it for that. That's it. So my assessment is is it's not bad. Yeah. That's my assessment. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't wow. I, no, I, I'm sort. I wasn't wowed, right? But I I sort of thought to myself, ah, you know, it's okay. But I like that it's a little less. Super humongous weapon. Speaking of art, Randall, you've got a, an April Fool's Day uh, special to share with us. Yeah, which is a shame that these were like put out as April Fool's things because these are actually very clever. I did not know about these until the night of this broadcast, actually. So I looked these up. Uh, these were a couple of pieces commissioned for Wizards of the Coast by Jason Thompson. And um, what he did was some cartoon-style maps of a couple classic dungeons, uh, White Plume Mountain and Tomb of Horrors. And each one has a little story with it in the form of what happens to a set of adventurers so as Randall, they go. Th- yes. He also did He did all of the S. He did Barrier Peaks. And- oh, did he? Okay, see, Jeff only told me about two. Yeah, oh. yeah, he did all four. I only saw the oh, okay. two. Yeah, so just so that oh, you Oh, great. Could, well, could thank you, Sam. Yeah. yeah. So I'll have to look at those. Right now I'm only looking at the White Plume Mountain and Tomb of Horrors, and they are very cleverly done. Um, the, I love the uh, uh, the cartoon type of style that he used for the maps. They are they are accurate as far as everything is that's in those dungeons is depicted on the maps. <laughs> and um, it's a – for some reason his, his um, uh, art style is very familiar to me, and I don't know why. So I don't know if he's a web comic artist or what, but because I read a lot of web comics, yeah, the name the name seems familiar to me, but I can't place it. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, I I dug it. So they look pretty cool. Go check those out because those those could actually work as wallpapers as well. Hmm. The images are large enough that they could work as a wallpaper, or heck, even print it out sure. as like a poster. So yeah, go check them out, kids. Cool. Yeah. 
Uh, before we get too much further, we should mention our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. Our pick of the episode is the 4E Neverwinter campaign setting book. There's a new D&D encounter session going to Neverwinter, and this book is full of great stuff regardless of which edition you're playing. It is currently $8 off at Noble Knight for a brand spanking new copy. You should check it out today. I have this book. It is awesome. Yeah, and I, I and actually, I'm, I'm not a Forgotten Realms fan, but this book is a really great campaign setting guidebook for for any edition, not just fourth edition. And Sweet. we had I remember having a very good conversation about it. We did an episode about it and talked to at least one, if mm-hmm. not two, of the authors. Um, and and yeah, I, I was equally impressed. Yeah, it was good. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all, and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. All right, now time for the in-depth topics. And I will set my timer for 10 minutes. We have a new timer sound, so that'll be super exciting. (laughs) We'll leave it as a surprise for everybody. Uh, And Randy, you're up first. All right. Well, I'm all into D&D Next, so what I've been reading and focusing on are the D&D Next Q&As, which are covering a lot of uh, detail about um, uh, game mechanics and things like that that will probably be going into the D&D Next game. Uh, things they're thinking about and stuff like that. So let's cover a few. I've got quite a few, so I'm going to run through these really rapidly. Um, but um, by all means, check out the articles if uh, you have some time because they are really um, being uh, open and um, and rather candid, I'd, I'd say, anyway, as far as I'm concerned, uh, regarding the process as to how this game's being put together. So let's get started. Um, the first one was about um, subclasses and... Um, and spells and the bard. As you know, if you look at the Paladin, it kind of comes in three flavors based on alignment called the Cavalier, Blackguard, and Warden. And the question is, are other classes going to benefit from this as well? And their basic answer is, yeah, well, sure, we can do that. Um, some of them are already lending themselves to that um, in the form of they're either folded into the class itself they're, yeah, or, yeah. They're, or they're or, or they're defined by the feats that you take. And it is and worth so, noting, uh, Mike Merles right. had a whole Legends of Lore article just about subclasses and how they're going to do subclasses for every class. Right, which you're going to cover in a little bit, right? Uh, I'm not covering that article, actually, so that's why I thought oh, I'd mention it here. Oh, okay, yeah. So, like I said, I, I think that's a cool thing. That way you don't have to worry about a lot of, you know, it's all folded into the same class, and so you can use feats and, and other things like that to help define that, mm-hmm. you know, if you're something a little different. Someone asked about spells, you know, will they end up being um, some be better spells than others because of the fact that spells can now hurt other players, <laughs> if you will. Remember that old gauntlet adage. Um, but um, the answer is is really there's no objective. There's no objectivity, really, when it comes to spells. Some are good. Some are bad. Uh, I mean, not bad necessarily, but are more have more specific use. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, fireball is always going to fry stuff, but you may not use knock all the time. That doesn't make knock a worse spell than fireball. It just means it has a more specific use. So they see spell users using a mix of those kinds of things. Pretty as basic. They, as answer, they've always right? done. As they've always done. No surprises there. I kind of see spells as almost like art. <laughs> you know, like um, some are obviously really well done. And others are kind of on the fringes, and only a few people like to use them, but they have their place. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it's sort of, you know, it's a there's a very much an aesthetic value to a spell. Oh, and I think there's something to be said for, you know, I've camped outside doors as an in an adventure party, waiting for the wizard to sleep so that he could get a new spell, just so that he could apply it to something that's going to right. be in the next room. I right. mean. This is a kind of thing that is going to happen, and that's fine. That's to me, that's the way it was done. So mm-hmm. you know, uh, no surprises there. 
the final question on this particular one was, uh, what role will the bard serve? Is he a jack of all trades or an inspiring leader or some mix of the two? I love the bard. Bard's one of my favorite characters to play ever. Um, I think there's no real surprises in their answer. I mean, they basically say that, you know, we're looking at a, um, uh, they're really focused kind of on the healing and things like that that the Bard does, which I thought was interesting because they kind of gotten away from that. But definitely going to be a leader with social interaction. So if – maybe not the leader of the party necessarily, but the leader when it comes to you know discussing things with civilians, if you will, um, you know, negotiating for that – uh, you know, fair trade or for, uh, you know, trying to soothe the tensions of the guards or things like that, social situations um, where the bard will definitely shine and step up and be able to help out. Just as a fighter is good at smashing a big foe, a bard should be able to get you around, you know, being searched by the guards all the time or, you know, maybe get you that extra drink in the tavern or, you know, a few extra gold pieces in your pocket if, um, you know, something like that comes along. So, you know, these are all things that bards have done in the past. So, you know, I don't see new surpri- real surprises coming up from the bard. But um, well, and it's interesting. It, I actually found the whole thing a little bit cagey. Like the the, the question was basically: Are bards going to be like they were in fourth edition, where they're just another version of healer, or are bards going to be more like they were in previous editions, where they weren't really healers? They were this jack of all trades, did everything sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And the answer I got was, eh? <laughs> you know, they're kind of kind of going <laughs> to yeah. do both. Maybe sort of. We're not sure. Yeah, and which has always been the bard. I mean, that's. I remember back in the first edition in AD and D, when the bard you actually had to be a fighter first, then you had to be a thief mm-hmm. for a while, and then you had to be you basically were casting druid spells. Yeah. And and you had time, to have you had right. to have really good stats, really good ability scores. Oh yeah, like four fifteens yeah. and like a seventeen yeah. or something. It was like insane as what stats you had to have. Which so, is why the bard was so good at everything. Right? Well, yeah, exactly right because he could fail. He was always <laughs> doing something halfway decent anyway. So, um, but it looks like they're still going to do, they're still really interested in the historical aspect that the bar, you know, having um, histories and things like that and um, informa- and uh, rare information that uh, people won't have to see. So I love that. I dig the bard. I don't think they're going to mess it up too much. They, another one here that they talked about was the, uh, the new apprentice tier that they're talking about. And I think this hasn't showed up in the play test that I have yet. Um, no, although he, it, that's that's the other Legends of Lore article that I'm not talking about. He's he discussed tier, <laughs> tiers in some detail, right? So, in other words, now first through fifth, fourth, uh, no, first through third level, I think, is what they're going to be calling a sort of apprentice tier, where instead of getting everything that your class gets right up front. You're introduced to features a little bit at a time with each level and that the leveling space in those areas is really small. So you might just have to go on a short adventure and you'll level up to second level. What it means is that if you were to take the current D&D Next characters as third level, that would be the start of an actual game. Okay, so, you could so do that. They're going right. to basically create the, the zero level concept. But, but do spread it, but, it out. But do it as the first three levels. Right, exactly. And I think this is actually not a bad way to go. And they explain it in the fact that it does introduce – each level will introduce a new feature of the class sort of that will allow you to, to get used to that, to be able to do that, and then move on to something different. Right. Um, well, they also, they also yeah. expanded the second tier, right? The second tier originally was only going to go to 10th, 10th or 12th level, and now they've made it to 15th like, level. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I want to say it's five to fifteen. It's well, it's I've got it in front of me. It's third uh, to fifteenth. It right? is third to fifteenth. And then okay. legacy yeah. is sixteen to twenty. That's the name. Right, of the third exactly. Tier. You know, the thing I like about this is that it it might circumvent one of the problems that fourth edition had, which is there was really no super awesome entry point for fourth edition until essentials came out, which was mm-hmm. you know four years into the five year development of the game. Right. Um, at least after the, you know, I, I never had this sort of blue starter box, but, um, you know, after the keep on the shadow fells quick start guide, there really wasn't a really good in true entry level point because the player's handbook, the, the PHB one was written kind of for people who could grok things right away because right. they had RPG experience, not really for brand new players. So this might be their way of 
making sure that that doesn't happen to D&D next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, I, I can totally see that. That, that said, yeah. it does mean that any standard sort of game that I'm going to start, if I don't want to start with this sort of apprenticing, sort of mm-hmm. finding your way and figuring out who you are thing and actually start with a full flesh character, meaning I have, Is to, that I have, third to, start level? At, yeah, I have to start at level three or four or whatever, um, that, that chafes a little bit in, in as much as we used to do that all the time, like in third edition, because the early levels kind of sucked, you know? So, but, um, but, but, I, but you yeah. know what? If it makes it easier for more people to get in the game, I'll, I'll suck that up. Yeah. Because I think what they're saying is they really said, you know, one short adventure and you should be – and one session and you should be second level. Honestly, um, I, what, what appeals yeah. to me is taking the same concept and doing sort of like a, the, the, the fourth edition red box, um, choose your own adventure style instead of a full-fledged adventure. But do this sort of choose your own adventure thing with it and build your character as you go through those first three levels. I think I'm not sure I'm keen on that. But I – you know, I like the idea of like, okay, I have a fighter, and while I may not be able to have my fancy feats yet, I can do this and this, and so I get used to that for like one short game, and then I the next level I get a little bit of extra thing, and then um, and then the the third level I get my final. Oh, that's my barking dog telling me <laughs> that I need to stop. Mm-hmm. But um, but anyway, yeah, it should be interesting. I I like I kind of like the concept of this gradual uh, uh, input. You know, you're still gaining stuff each level it's just uh, uh not the full thing at one time and i like that because you don't get over you don't i don't like the superhero character concept yeah. i never really did but that's, that's so where that, we differ yeah i know yeah. <laughs> so. and i understand that that's fine so all right all right well, I, I think that this way doing it this way rather than doing a choose your own adventure actually can satisfy both of you though well no, I mean, and that's it, what i was saying it, yeah so that's why i think it's probably a good idea not yeah. that i i mean because i like the choose your own adventure kind of style but not everybody wants to run through that every time right which was the flaw in the fourth edition starter set was that you had to run right. through it every time right that was my point right is that is that um I could what I was trying to say is that I I could see creating a variant, you know, not that you would do every time, but you know, maybe I don't want to run for through the first three levels as a, as a standard game every time, and I want to fly through it, but I want to do something, so I create a choose your own adventure sort of skin on top of it. Um, I think would be would fit fit onto it, okay, and and you, then you could do it either way. Yeah, that was my that was what I was thinking anyway. Yeah, what would we really need to see is that if you could fold story elements into those levels. So, like, at, after first level, these kinds of things click in. Bink, bink, bink. You know, after next level, this kind of thing clicks in. Bink, bink. You know, and uh, like that for those first three levels so that you can sort of develop your background, which a lot of people do anyway as mm-hmm. the game progresses. But mm-hmm. this, if there was some kind of um, uh, a way within the rules that sort of folded some of that in, that made it ma- much easier for DMs to... Uh, get a handle on that as the game progresses i'd like kind of like that idea hmm. you know not to dictate what it is but to say you know after the first adventure your character should have some idea of blank mm-hmm. you got right you, you got my head running with all kinds of ideas you're right so there you go i think yeah I think, I think that can be really cool anyway we should move on to the next topic which is me I am. I am discussing the legend. We're going to talk about Jeff. No. Oh, well, okay. No. Let me let me rephrase. <laughs> the next topic, which I will be uh, leading, uh, it is the Legends and Lore article from April twenty second, which was titled "This Week in D anD D," as all of them were for a couple of months, uh, but subtitled <laughs> <laughs> subtitled "Feats and Skills and Options." Oh my! Uh, and I'm. I've, I've read it obviously already, but I'm going to skip to the end where it's got a summary and, and I'm going to use that to play off of here. Um, there's a few things going on. First of all, they're saying they're going to they're looking to take a little bit of a different approach in D and D next than what they've been doing so far in the playtest with feats, um, and then they tie in sort of skills and backgrounds there as well. First of all, they they want to make 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 it sort of clear that all characters are going to gain bonuses to ability scores at various levels depending on your class. Okay, but there's still there's still a hard limit on any ability. But score. yeah, maximum the maximum, maximum of 20. twenty. Right. Right. However, you can trade an, a bonus to an ability score for a feat if your group yep. is using feats. Feats will be an optional module that you can add onto your game. So that's that's the first 
big thing that they that they introduce. Thoughts on that? Yeah, actually, I do because that seems really familiar. It's almost wasn't that an original rule in the 3.0 version of the game, and then it got dropped for 3.5 for a regular feat schedule. Hmm. It seemed to me that there was a rule in 3.0 that you could either take an ability score bonus or a feat. I don't remember and that. There, See, I don't see that's, but there's something so familiar about that rule. That's what's, that's it's it's kind of like picking up my brain, and so I, I maybe I'm completely <laughs> off base. I almost but, I almost uh, want to say that, that that sounds like something where that would fit into like the end of second edition skills and power sort of stuff, but I don't know that that's true either. That's when they were sort of testing out yeah, some of what became maybe. feats. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I was not playing second edition by the time that yeah. book came out, so I have it on my shelf. Sure. But yeah, me of course too. you do. I'm what in what the don't same you? Boat have? You are Sam. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't. I haven't read it and looked at it in so long. I couldn't tell you yeah. if that's the case. Also, same with 3.0. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, in any case, I, I have other issues with it beyond um, it being familiar or not, in as much as. They talk specifically in the article about wanting to avoid sort of attacks, you know. Yet one a, another sort of tax that you have to do. We want they want people to feel free to apply that ability score to a non-optimal score because it makes more story sense or whatever. Um, but I don't feel like that's. I mean, you could always do that, right? In in any edition where you gained bonuses to ability scores, you could always choose to apply it in a non-optimal way for story reasons. But nobody ever did because they yeah. felt like they, they really wanted to be optimized. They wanted to be to be as effective as possible in the combat. So even if you can be effective without applying that stat there, you're going to. Uh, and it would have to be a pretty darn tempting feat to take in exchange for an ability score, which applies to almost everything you do in the game. Well, I got the feeling that the feats were – well, an ability score will give you a generic plus one. The feat will also give you the plus one, but something a little, you know, specific also to your particular um, uh, subclass or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that they're going to use the paragon. That's how they're going to, do, you know, if you want to differentiate your character, you'll do it by using feats. Mm-hmm. No, and that's so, and that's always been what yeah. feats are used for, right? And they've actually and right. they talked about, you know. Um, and it, it, feat choices will look different for different classes. You know, a wizard might use it to pick up new zero-level spells and, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but I don't know. There's still something that chafes to me. And I understand why they're doing it, right? They want to have a simple version. If you don't want to get into the complexity of feats, just add a plus one bonus to your ability score. No problem. Right. And they mm-hmm. want to have a more compl- complex version. Hey, here's all these feats you can choose from. Uh, but at the same time, feats and ability scores do different things in the game. And it kind of bothers me a little bit to tie them together when they're not the same thing. You know what I mean? Well, I think if you take out – but the the part of the equation there that is being missed is the fact that they're basically eliminating skills in favor of non-weapon proficiencies. Skills are basically going away. That's – At least in the basic game. Okay, I was say that's not entirely true. Yeah. Skills are not going away. Yeah. Skills are becoming an optional. Well, and I, I think right. the I think the the other thing is though is that let me flip back to this and read it. It's um, uh, yes. I, I see the way, I, I guess the way I would run it is, uh, yeah. I don't know. That is a problem because I don't I don't know that I would want some characters trading the attribute score for a feat. And not others. I think if I was going to do it, I would just say you all, get the feats, right? Yeah, you or, either or, do feats or I mean, you, you do could, ability scores. And you could you could as a DM, I suppose, adjudicate every, every yeah. other. You know, every other one is is an right. ability score. And then, and then, but then, but then, then I'm just making it a feat schedule, which takes away that. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, but but I think for the rule set, they're making it optional, which is basically leaving it up to the DM. Which yeah. I like that part of it. But I'm sort of like you. I don't. The thing is that I don't have a love affair with feats. I actually, you know, because I'm sort of more, I'm I'm on the grognard. Porch right. with Randall. Um, I'm fine without feats. I don't, you know, and I, you know, so uh, I don't see it as something integral to my game necessarily. But the, the issue, thing the is, issue is, is that, that one that's of, how they're using the feats are going to be specifically how they're going to handle character differentiation in the higher levels. So, in other words, yeah. that's going to replace Paragon sure. 
or those kind of paths. So if that's the case, I'm okay with feats because feats will need something needs to do that. Right. So yeah. I get that. So I'm not really concerned about – I'm a little concerned – not concerned. I'm curious, Sam, as to why you're worried about players getting to choose. If there's still a, a, an ability score cap, which there is, yeah. why no, does I, it I, matter if – I, I'm not concerned. I, I'm saying for me as a DM, for just I, I would probably just say I would put it on a schedule. I wouldn't say oh everybody gets to pick. I would just say oh uh, you know every you know even level or every other one or whatever is a feat. Well, because because the, the issue is that something's going to be better. I mean it, it's a game that that will always have optimizers, right? Hmm. Something is going to be better. Either the bonus to ability score or the feat choice or whatever. Something is going to be better than the other. And those people who are good at figuring that out are going to have the characters that overshadow everybody else. And that's the way it has been in the past. And that's what well, – but, but not when you tie ability score to feats together. Like you could it, – it, But it, it also – what it also does then is leads to a lot of opportunity for rules bloat, right? Yes, like it, the, the best thing to do. Oh, oh, for if you're if you're using feats in your game, here's a whole splat book full of feats. Right. You know. Now that's, I, that's that. Yeah, I don't like that. That's a different are, issue. I know, but the one. But I also think that feats aren't. That's not necessarily going to be as prone to do that if feats are keyed specifically to the, a certain path that a character can take. But that's how they've always pitched feats since it's since it's first inception. That's what feats were supposed mm-hmm. to be. But you know how feats have actually been. And, and that's what feats will end up being, especially for the optimizer. I think the one possible saving grace of the whole thing is the ability cap. The fact that you can't go above 20, which means you can only right, right. pump so many of these, give up so many of these feats into your ability scores right. before you might as well just start picking feats now, you know? I, th- I think that's the one possible saving grace that might make this work. And, and we, we obviously we haven't played with this, so we don't know how it's going to actually play out, but I, I, it, it has me concerned. I, I wouldn't say that I'm concerned. I'm I'm more reserved about. I just want to see what the feats look like and what you know. I'm no. I'm not actually concerned because I don't care about feats enough to be to be concerned. Because sure. if you don't <laughs> well, like it, you'll just cut it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The thing that that helped me feel better about it was the fact that they equaled the two. A feat will never give any more than a plus one to a thing, just like an ability score bonus will never give more than a plus one to a thing. So you're not getting a higher bonus. But I think think Jeff's problem, though, is that if you give a plus one to an ability score, that single ability score then affects a multitude possibly of things. Well, and and, Mm -hmm. and they said that – they said that, you know, uh, the uh, feat will never be more powerful than the plus one to the ability score. But that's not actually true either because they they say that in one paragraph and in a later paragraph they say, and feats will become more powerful at higher levels. Well, then they're not equal anymore. They're not the same thing. Hmm. But yeah, I don't know. But if you have to take the feet first, you know, if there are prerequisites to the feet, I, I don't know. Well, the prerequisites yeah, to the feet that they mentioned, you know, and again, we haven't seen it played out, but they mentioned, you know, you'll have to meet certain, you know, class and and level requirements or whatever, right? But in any case, right. the other thing they mentioned is backgrounds that they're going to change the way backgrounds work. Um, and they're going each background is going to give you a knowledge, which is a straight up plus 10 bonus to intelligence checks based on that, that knowledge. Um, they're going to give you proficiencies with tools and objects. So you could be, you know, proficient with, uh, thieves tools or I don't know, hot air balloons or whatever. Um, yep. and then they're going to give you special benefits, um, you know, which are like the social connections or that kind of stuff that, that are already into the backgrounds. Yep. Which I went through quickly, I know, because I saw my time running out. <laughs> I have the advantage of having the timer in front of me. And I love backgrounds. I think backgrounds one of the greatest, one of the nicest rules innovations that they've not necessarily innovation, but a um, one of the rules additions that they've changed for D and D next. I really like the backgrounds. So do you? Does it bother you that they're going to change them? Oh no, because they're changing them in a good way. Oh, okay. or at least they're yeah. changing them in a lateral way. Uh, yeah, sure. They're, yeah. At le- they're at least <laughs> the backgrounds at least do what they did before that we like equally well. They they mm-hmm. give some mechanical support for a story and, and character concept. At least that's what I like about him. I assume that's the same for you. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, I like the fact that my character. I like the fact that they added the extra cool stuff that you can do, which right. really makes everyone wants to be special. And you know, if you're the only guy that can like um, talk the farmer into giving you, you know, a couple of loaves of bread or something <laughs> when you're starving. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then I think that's those are kind of cool. That was kind of a stupid example, but that was those are the kind of things though. <laughs> That, Actually, you know, no, it's not. I mean, that's the yeah. kind of thing that could come up in role playing. And rather sure. than hand wave it, the background 
gives the DM a way to sort of bring it in and let that person shine for a moment. Well, sure. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Even in even in mundane things. I'm setting the timer for for uh, Sam. Ready? All right, I'm ready. Go. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you about two articles actually. Um, one of them really just because I wanted to be able to say blib blibdul pulpup. <laughs> which which is uh, the sea mother of but the Puatoa. Just stumble through it. Is it? I I I read <laughs> it. Blibdul pulp. Blibdul pulp. See, I can't. Now you've just I, said it three different ways. <laughs> I know. I've, I know. I know. Maybe if I say it three times, she'll show up. Is that is that? Yeah, but you have to say it this, the right way three. The times. right way. Oh well, forget it then. It's a lost cause. Uh, but you will wake up with the, gills in the morning. Yeah, no kidding. That would be kind of cool. Anyway, um, as long as they weren't obvious. Uh, this <laughs> this article uh, that uh, that was written on the second of April talks about. Um, Water dwelling creatures, and, and I, it's really funny because I have a love hate relationship with these sort of mm-hmm. amphibian reptile water dwelling creatures. Uh, anyway, so they talk about the Kuatoa and they talk about uh Sahuagin, and then they uh, talk about bullywugs. And the, the, the thing is that I have say now I always pronounce it Sawagin, so that's why. I mean. Oh, uh, that's yeah, I it's one of those creatures that gets, yeah, yeah. Pronounced separately all the time. Exasagital. Um, all the sea creatures are unpronounceable. They are. Bullywugs are not. No, but they're not no, really sea they're, creatures. They're, they're swamp that creatures. And, that and they're horrible. Well, so uh, the funny thing is, I <laughs> yeah, like sorry, I, I I like the sea creatures, but the thing is, I hate aquatic fighting, yes. so I <laughs> I never <laughs> use. Um, and so uh, the articles are interesting. Uh, you know, it's it's one of the interesting things that he talks about is, you know, the, the Kuatoa and the Sahuagin, interestingly enough, got really long monster entries before monster entries were really long. Mm. Um, and that's a pretty interesting, just from the historical aspect, because, you know, I love history. So it's pretty interesting to read about, you know, this whole huge amount of history that was put into the very first you know, entries of these particular creatures. Um, but I, I don't know what it is. I, I think it would be an interesting conversation to have about why these creatures are so iconic, but yet I never use them. Mm-hmm. And I know several people who never use them for, for various different reasons. Um, but in any case, uh, that's not really the art, the main article I want to talk about. I just wanted to try to, um, you know, say the name of the sea mother, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> the re- the real article that I wanted to talk about was uh, the one from the 9th of April, which is an article where he, uh, he describes what he means by the words that he's using in the Wandering Monsters articles. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, and so I know defining our terms. It's it, and it's it's sort of it sounds so elementary, but I guess one of the things the reason I bring it up is because one of the things I'm really liking about the D&D Next process, like how they're doing everything, is that they're really breaking it down and saying exactly sort of what their thinking is when they're talking about a given thing. And the reason I like that is because it makes this a really um, newbie-friendly type of thing. Like I and I don't know what the likelihood is that there is any real true newbie playing the playtest or reading all these articles or whatever. I, who am I to say I don't have any idea. But I think it's really instructive that that these articles are actually being written. So he he talks about um what he means when he when he lists a level for these creatures. He doesn't list a level. He lists things like low, medium and high and then he talks about what those mean. Ah, that's whatever. That's not all that interesting. Then he talks about environment. And when he talks about the environment, he says, oh, there's five categories. There's wilderness, settled lands, underground, aquatic, and planar. And basically what it's doing is setting up a list of uh, t- places, basically, where you are going to be able to expect to have encounters mm-hmm. in your game. And you know, he goes on and then he, he lists a bunch of different um, sub sub-regions of those areas and talks about them. And that that's all well and good. But I think what's really interesting is you could actually take this information and use it to create a setting. Hmm. And it's at the same time ve- at a very basic level and it's a very newbie-friendly, which I like. 
But the two parts that I really like about this is that he talks about what the monster types are and what they actually mean, which for someone who doesn't have a big, long history in D&D, this is a great bit of information that tells you a lot about the where they're going with the different creature types in D&D Next. That's and a bit of a primer. It's a bit of a primer, exactly. That's exactly what I have. I wrote my notes that they say good primer on basic types of creatures. And that's exactly well, and, what it is. And they had this in, in previous editions as well. You, yeah. you oh, have the, the list of, have, of monster types, right. but it was always sort of buried at the back of a monster manual or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and also very much assumed that you had just read the player's handbook. So you knew everything else that you needed to know mm-hmm. about the game before you read that. And this is a very basic level, here's what these creature types are and here's the types of creatures and here's you know here's some of the creatures you'll find in this group and and i think that is really instructive for for newbies for new people or even for people who you know are interested in how they're really going through this process and what they're thinking about when they're deciding on you know how they're creating monsters for this edition because let's face it how many there are umpteen numbers of monster manuals you know, bestiaries, everything. And they're sort of breaking it down and going down to the most basic foundational level and saying, okay, here's what we're starting with and here's where we plan on going with it. And I think that's really instructive and it's really interesting. Um, uh, And the, the other part of this article that I really like is the fact that right at the end, he talks about treasure. And you'll notice if you read any of the Wandering Monsters articles, when he talks about the creatures, he gives... Um, the name of it, what type of creature it is, what their alignment generally is, what level they're going to be, what environment they live in. But he doesn't give any kind of treasure. And he says that one of the um, feed, the sort of uh, common feedback he gets is that on a, in a sample monster entry, people have been asking for treasure information. Just like there used to be, you know, every edition other than fourth edition used to have some sort of information about the type of treasure that, that a creature might have. Mm-hmm. Um, And what he talks about is that he's now going to start putting um, treasure entries in the the sort of creature sample guides. But here's what it's going to be. It's going to be something like um, pouch, chest, or hoard. And then it's and then you're going to have tables that the DM can use that'll either be they'll be like, well, is the pouch is it poor or is it rich? You know, is it going to have gold or is it going to have copper in it? Or is the chest, you know? old and and trapped or you know brand new and unlocked but also empty you know that kind of thing so there's going to be sort of information tied to the creature about treasure rather than you know in fourth edition you sort of throw creatures in and then you put you you attach the treasure to the location not necessarily the creature so you know they're going to start attaching the treasure back to the creatures again yeah which i like which I think, I mean, good DMs did that even in 4th edition, right? But Oh, sure, yeah. Um, yeah but it, but it, it is nice to have it sort of built into the creature that, that, it, that like you said, it's not, a, it's not essential to the encounter or to the level mm-hmm. or whatever. It's just this is what this creature would have. Right. And they can do that because they made magic items and stuff less important to the math. Sure. And, of course, you know, he, he also says, you know, you wouldn't have to do this. You wouldn't have to use this version of treasure. And there will sure. be other, you know, other optional ways to provide uh, this, the, the quote-unquote appropriate amount of, of treasure or what have you. But mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting to, um, you know, to see how, what their thinking is on that. Because I, I, you know, as I said, I'm kind of an older school player or older edition player, I guess. And so I, I like the attachment of, you know, this this. You know, it's one thing to say this creature enjoys gold and picks up shiny things, but then you go to their lair and there's nothing there. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this this attaches that sort of descriptive back to the actual mechanics of you know here's what treasure you're going to find. I thought I thought one of the more interesting things as I as I'm looking through the article and specifically, and I really like the treasure thing. Um, there's our timer, but <laughs> in the monster type section um mm-hmm. I, as i as i go through them they all look very familiar to me uh-huh. and then i get to monstrosity monstrosity yeah i yeah i which, know i did that too it seems to be just this new type to say mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. anything we don't really have a good place to put it's just a monstrosity it's a monster right but then, it's, it's almost but, like porn but when you, yeah. you know what when you see it but when you read it, he actually it's it's more than I know it sounds like a catch all, but it's actually more than a catch all. It's more like something that seems like a normal some you would still consider it a monster, but it might seem normal. But then when the common folk 
come face to face with it, they scream in terror because it is that much more monstrous than like, you know, they use a wolf compared to a warg, you know? Well, let me, let me, uh, defend my use of catch all here. Okay. I quote from the text. Oh, I know. They defy categorization and in some sense serve as a catch-all category for creatures that don't fit into any other type. (laughs) Yeah, no, I wasn't saying you were wrong, but I was saying that that then they elaborate and they say, you know, some of of the reason for that is because we want to have a category that, you know, you don't put wolves and wargs necessarily in the same category because Mm -hmm. one of them is supposed to strike up more fear in the common populace than the other. But at the right. same time, um, you, but at the same time, you have wolf and dire wolf in the same category. Guys, newsflash: monstrosity is basically another word for magical beast. Yeah, that's what it seems. Like. <laughs> I mean, that's really what yeah, we're looking but, at. So yeah, but um, but but, it, but it's not. It's yeah. bigger than that because it also includes Yonti. Well, they were considered and minotaurs. Um, uh, magical beast. Well, not beasts, but um, except well, magical beasts, humanoids. Except the the category beasts in this article includes magical beasts within it. So monstrosity. Oh, no, is so they're redeeming that. Yeah. Okay. So they're well, they're mixing things up quite a bit here. With yeah, the they're, they're actually, there are some changes here. That's why I say it's a good primer and it's also a good indicator of where things are going because it's not exactly the way that you might expect. Because beast is natural beasts and magical beasts. Uh, it and does not say that. Sure, it does. It says uh, it says. Oh, some of them have beasts. magical. Powers. Some of them have magical powers. Yeah, there. Okay, I was yeah. looking at their just at their examples, and I'm like, none of those are magical. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. So, but that, but you know, and of course, this is you know not definitive. So, who knows how it's going yeah. to evolve before the actual you know. But I felt I thought it was interesting, and and you know, I, good these, to have, yeah. yeah, these these articles are meant to be you know looked at and commented on, and they want people to you know converse about them and and you know i don't go onto the watsi boards and and talk with everybody but i do enjoy reading them and and sort of thinking about them in terms of you know what i'm gonna do with with the next edition am i gonna play it am i gonna let it sit on a shelf what am i gonna do mm-hmm. you know right right on yep yep well let's see i think that's all the time we have for this episode and we want to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight Games, as well as everyone for supporting us and shopping at Amazon and dndclassics.com through our affiliate links, please, please, please. And uh, that's at thetomeshow.com. Don't forget to email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com for your suggestions on format and name, as though we're going to listen to them anyway. <laughs> and swing by thetomeshow.com for show notes to learn about all the good stuff we talked about in tonight's episode as well as other tome show shows and and i think we're pretty well settled into our format i think doing the lightning round sort of uh you know quick things and then getting into in depth for for a while on some other things i think is working out pretty well for us don't you yeah i think so too i agree all right well until next time this is jeff griner signing out for myself sam dylan and our man on the streets of barovia randall walker keep on gaming tomites (laughs) 